You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. I'm going to talk to all the Gen Xers for a minute here. How many of you remember Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah. <laughs> Some of the younger people. All right, that's great. Yeah, they had to interrupt. They had to interrupt Super Friends and Scooby Doo on Saturday morning to teach us something. And um, there were lots of these. If, if you're not familiar with them, they would set to music some, something about math or grammar, uh, or government. And that was the one I was put in mind of this morning as I was preparing for this sermon. Um, there, was, there was one where they were teaching about what they've called the, the separation of powers in American government. You have, of course, the uh, executive branch and the legislative branch and the judicial branch. And to teach this to kids, they compared it to a three-ring circus. <laughs> I assume no irony was meant, but... (laughs) Um, So, of course, the the purpose of separating these powers was that even though most of the founding fathers are what were called deists, they were also well-trained by sitting in churches um, in the doctrine of original sin. They were also struggling against a tyranny, and they knew that all forms of government could devolve into tyranny. So what they did was separate out the powers of government into three branches so that those branches could balance one another. You have the legislative branch, which makes the laws, and then the executive branch, which enforces the laws, and the judicial branch, which um, interprets the laws. The goal being that each balances out the other and keeps one of them, any one of them, from getting to be too powerful and hence tyrannical. Um, That's at least the theory. Now, imagine my surprise when I got to my class in the Old Testament, and especially in, in Old Testament history, and realized that it was not the founding fathers of America who first thought of the idea of dividing the government. It was God. In Old Testament Israel, the people of God were a nation, a physical nation, with boundaries and rules and laws. And so the government was broken into three offices that were kept separate from one another so that the focus of the people of God could remain its primary focus. And that was to reveal the character of God to the nations, to the Gentiles. So, of course, they had a king can't have a kingdom without a king. Representative government was hundreds and hundreds of years away. So you had a king. The king both made and enforced the laws. But the king stood under a higher law. God's law. And so that law and the relationship with God was interpreted by the priesthood. The priesthood's job was to carry the petitions of the people to God and to carry God's word back to the people and engage the people in the worship of the living God, which was the lifeblood of the community. David, 
had political power, but they also had power. And there was balance established between them. But even then, things could devolve. The king could get out of line. The priesthood, the religion, could become debased and unfocused. And so there was one more role in the Old Testament, one more office that was kept, and it was separate from both priesthood and king, because it needed to be able to challenge both priesthood and king, and that was the office of prophet. If you open your Old Testament, a good half of it's devoted to prophetic writings. The word of God would be given to an individual who would be called upon to come in and challenge the king. I don't know if you know the way kingdoms work, but challenging the king is always a dangerous proposition. (laughs) And if you remember, if you remember the Old Testament story, Nathan had to go and challenge King David, the good king, when he got out of line and arranged for the death of Uriah so that he could marry Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. Nathan came and challenged the king directly and challenged his authority with the word of God. And so, did the other prophets challenge the people of Jerusalem, the priesthood? Wherever things had gotten debased and were drifting toward tyranny, the prophet would come in with the word of God to correct things. And so this was the way the government of the Old Testament kept itself balanced. And what we see in today's reading from the Gospels is that the separation of powers will no longer exist. These magi, astronomers of of a sort or astrologers, probably Zoroastrians, are coming in from what we think of as Persia. They're coming in from a pagan country because they've noticed something anomalous in the stars and so they have come to find out what this is and what it portends and they go looking for the king to be born. And they present him with three gifts. Now, it would be a long time after the death and resurrection of Jesus that the church would come to understand the significance of these gifts. But these gifts are meant to indicate that this child lying in straw will fulfill the roles, all three roles, of the Old Testament government, king and priest and prophet. Gold. Gold is what kings fight wars over. It's what they fill their treasuries with. It's how they implement the government. And so gold signifies the presence of royalty. In a few minutes we're going to sing We Three Kings, and if you've ever noticed the middle three verses of that song, each one of them lines out the meaning of each of the gifts for us as a reminder. Gold indicates that this child is to be king of all. And it's the fulfillment of the prophecy we just saw in Psalm 72, that the gold of Arabia will be given to him. And then frankincense. As modern Christians, as modern people, we're not as familiar with incense as people would have been at another time in history. But if you had gone to the worship of the temple in the first century you would have smelled incense all the time. Incense served two purposes. The first was that it covered the smell of the sacrifices. Remember, when you went to the temple in the Old Testament, animals were being sacrificed, and all that blood 
created an awful, terrible stench. Incense is simply rolled tree sap. They take tree sap and dry it out a little bit. When you throw it on a fire, it creates a fragrant smoke. And there's all kinds of this stuff. Um, Frankincense is probably the most rudimentary and common of them. Um, So it, it served that purpose in the worship space. But also when you throw it in the fire and the smoke curls up like this, it represents visually our prayers rising to God. And we sing about that when we sing Psalm 141 on Wednesday evening prayer. This is like PowerPoint before PowerPoint. You get a visual, you know. <laughs> so, the presence of frankincense means that God is close. God is with His people. God does not abandon them. And this is the role of prophet being lifted up for us. The one who brings the word of God and course corrects us. And this child will do that for his people. When the church has gotten off base throughout history, it's the Word of God that brings us back to center. And that child will not only bring the Word of God, the definitive interpretation, he, will, he is the Word of God. As we heard on Christmas Eve, the Word was with God and the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's king, he's prophet, and he's priest. A priest is simply one who offers sacrifice. And as our great high priest, as the book of Hebrews will call him, Jesus not only offers the sacrifice that atones for our sins, but he is the sacrifice itself. The once and for all sacrifice that no further sacrifice is required. That our enmity with God is put finally to rest by this once and for all sacrifice by one who can bear the price and rise triumphant from the grave. And because they come together, there is no more separation of the powers because Jesus cannot become a tyrant. He is the perfect king. He is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect priest. The fulfillment of all three. And so we as Christians whether we're Americans or Russians, and I'm a child of the Cold War, so I still think that way. Whether we're Anglo or Latino or Asian or African, whatever country we pledge allegiance to, we have a higher allegiance yet. For one calls to us as king. One speaks to us as prophet. One sacrifices to us. Sacrifices for us, excuse me, that we might be reconciled with God. And of His government there will be no end. And we proclaim that truth every time we declare that He will come again to judge the living and the dead and His kingdom will have no end. We participate in that kingdom now and we give thanks to God for it as we come in this season of Epiphany and see Him shown forth and prophecy fulfilled. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you have offered yourself 
as our sacrifice. A sacrifice that atones for our sins. That you teach us through your word and as the word through your example. And that you rule over us as king. Grant us to keep our eyes forever focused upon you. Our ears forever focused upon your word. That we may follow you in faith until we join with all the choirs of heaven in glory proclaiming you. These things we ask in your most holy name. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my life.